This is the Sea to Sky podcast with Marcus, weaving through the issues in Sea to Sky country. Welcome to another edition of the Sea to Sky podcast. My name is Marcus. I'm sitting with Lee O'Callaghan, who's running for council. Thank you for inviting me to your home today and to talk about certain issues. And right off the bat, Lee, I asked this pretty much from all the candidates. There's 22 of you running. How do you stand out from the other 22? You know, I think if I speak to my platform, uh, you know, my vision, accountability, no, I'm just kidding. I think I give straight answers. I can say the straight no's. I think I'll be able to make the tough decisions, the unpopular vote. I think I really just want Squamish to stay a great community. So I know I speak a little bit different than the other uh, people running for council. I definitely speak my mind, but I'm just trying to get you to know who I am. So you know which way I'm kind of leaning on certain issues. But I did speak to Elections BC and I asked them, what am I really allowed to say? And for everything up until you're elected, it's basically the equivalent of, you know, us having a conversation over dinner. You can say whatever you want. But, you know, if I am elected, it's the opposite. I listen to the people. I keep an open mind and I listen to the staff. And I base my decisions off of that. Now, what, what do you mean by unpopular votes? There, there are certain issues I know you've taken a strong stance on, and there's a lot of issues facing the community. So where, where would you like to start with your strong stances? Because I know in the first ACM, you, you got pretty vocal on certain issues. Right now, you know, if you were to ask me why I'm running for council, it's basically, you know, I don't want this town to go to shit. I think we're at a real point now where it can go one way or the other. You know, I think we have to ask ourselves, do we want to be a town in between a resort and LNG with our coffee shops and our brew pubs and industrial parks and we're driving to the city for work? So I think the question is, how do we grow this town? How do we get all the things we want, keep the construction workers busy? For my family, I want the improvements to the pool, the second ice rink, the water parks. You know, I want indoor play areas for young kids indoor areas for teenagers so they're not getting into trouble places to go in the rain places to go now that we have these smoky summers you know i want all that we should have a fire hall we should have an arts theater so the question becomes how do we get that exactly because the amenities issue right i mean i think we're so stretched thin in terms of amenities and in terms of uh revenue that's why we've been taxed the way we've been taxed and businesses being taxed the way they've been taxed because we we're running out of space but yet we don't have that diverse economy so this is where it becomes a chicken and egg question, which I again post to most of the candidates is like, yes, we want all these things, but we also need uh, some people affordable housing because our rental market is nil. We also need diversification of the economy. So where do we start? How do we, what's that pebble to throw in the, in the pond to get those, that ripple effect? So I think in my opinion, it's fairly straightforward. I think we need to keep the construction industry really busy here. And at the same time, add the office jobs. What does that look like? So I think we should aim as Squamish, you know, what I would do as your counselor is try to bring in the tech jobs. And I've reached out to a few people already and asked questions and just try to figure out what's important. So how do we get the tech jobs here? Do we follow this OCP and infill, try to build out the oceanfront landing and the oceanfront, take that to these high tech companies? Here's your two options. So I'm just going to back up for a second. So here's the two options. If I came to you and I said, how do we get a tech company into Squamish? So everybody knows Squamish is this awesome place, like one of the best places in the world. We don't need to show that. So the question is, to get you here, am I building a huge office in an industrial park and offering you tax incentives? Is that what you're looking for? I, I don't think that's it at all. 
Or am I selling it on, okay, let's build this amazing community with coffee shops, brew pubs, you know, one-third office, one-third park, one-third residential, bike lanes, everything, like walking areas. That's the, like, when I looked at the subplan of the OCP for Oceanfront Landing, that's a pretty cool community. Mm. And then if that gets built out and then you start looking at the Oceanfront build out and include densifying downtown, it could turn into this, like a Kitsilano and those two old streets in Yale towns and maybe like a, a less dense Olympic village where you'd be able to attract these high tech companies. And the people that did get back to me, they're coming back and they're saying, there's no way we would want to move our workforce to Squamish and then live in a townhouse up in a hill and then drive to an industrial park to work. That is not what we would do at all. If I was going to move my company there, it would be Give me the biggest badass office right in the center of it all, and I'll bring my company up there. Right. And that's not what you don't have to give them incentives for that. Just basically location, location, location. Yeah, it's like the zero incentive things. It's almost the opposite because that would create further infill. We don't need to give in to the developers to build townhouses, rezone throughout Squamish. It would all kind of be there. Well, that's the plan, right? The plan is to infill the downtown. Now, there's there's lots of projects coming through the downtown. We're seeing lots of infill. When when is it enough? Do you think the 6,500 units that are already sort of in play enough, or do you, do you think we can densify even further? We're also like we're talking about like we're talking about losing our vistas downtown. For example, a lot of the buildings are just one story. We're talking about zone for six to eight stories. Are we talking about that type of infill? I would, I mean, I think the best way to look at it is if you take a look at that sub plan for oceanfront landing. Hopefully that really gets taken and then hopefully that grows at a really fast pace and transfers into downtown and then from downtown you're going into oceanfront. That's the way I would like to see it go. So do I think right now we should just pile up in downtown, just keep building and building six stories high? I don't think that's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is let's try to get the other ones built new cool one-third park one-third office one-third residential bring in the coffee shops bring in the brew pubs and try to get these high-tech companies in so then but then it comes down to also with the infill you look at the transit issue downtown as well you're looking at the fact that you have one way in one way out there's also a big train that goes across it the jumar right there blocking things up uh there's a lot of challenges of just building the downtown and infilling it is there any uh, plans in, in in mind and how to sort of alleviate that congestion it's because if you're looking at loads of units and they all have one parking space we know that a lot of the community here commutes so you're looking at two vehicles and you're looking at recreational people with lots of stuff in their garage so it's a question of finding space for the cars more or less the people oh absolutely i think we have to accept that people drive trucks here there should definitely be a parkade or within these new developments that have stalls for the big trucks i, I would almost say like 60 70 percent of our workforce is contractors so it's pretty unrealistic that one car is going to work in any of these new developments. And then if we are to able to grow it to what I'm saying with that nice community feel, you're not going to want to have, you know, the big trucks laying all around in the empty lots. Like that's got to go. So yeah, I'm saying build a parkade for sure, 100%. I'm saying add extra spots. I, I would go further than, okay, like I know right now the developer can pay, I think it's like 6000 and they can take away a parking spot. I would almost go the opposite. If it's possible, I would say no to all of those and make the developers put in those parking spots. And then in a three-bedroom, I think it should have three parking spots. I mean, rents are so high. So if you took a three-bedroom townhouse, you know, you're looking at what? Let's just call it 3000 bucks, probably like 2700 Chances are you're going to have three people living in there and all those three people, two of those people are going to be driving to the city and one of them is probably going to have a big truck and working in town. 
So you need three parking spots or a parkade that the truck can park in at the very minimum. So how would you tell developers then? Like, would that be like a, a policy thing or a regulatory thing that if you're building downtown that you have to include parking spots? Like there's hardly any space. So are we talking about like parking garage, like lower levels? Or if you're talking about a parkade, where are you thinking about sticking it? So I'm saying for sure stick to what is currently required. So if that's two parking spots per a two or three bedroom unit, I'm saying 100% don't budge on that. Keep those spaces there. Whether the rules on a three bedroom, if you can make force them to add a parking spot, I'm not sure. But if that is possible, I would look at trying to do that or maybe incentivize them to do that. Absolutely a separate parkade. A question came up to me at the All Candidates. Are you in support of storage for bikes? And of course I am. But then why don't inside this parkade, why don't we have a huge bike storage that's safe? Right. A bike locker or something like that. Yeah. Uh, maybe even a little further than a bike locker where, you know, you can ride down on your expensive mountain bike and then park it there, feel safe and walk to work. Oh, that's that's kind of like another sort of parking problem that I see is, you know, I think you could say a big part of the parking problem is employee parking. You know, if we built a parkade downtown and all the employees park there, that's not really a big deal. Like if you have to walk two or three blocks to work and just leave your car there all day, that's totally normal. Everyone's going to accept that. If you ride your bike from the Highlands and it's in safe storage and then you walk two or three blocks to work, everyone's going to accept that. Also going to allow for more turnover. Like if I was a small business, you know, I'd want those stalls turning over. Yeah. Right. So what about transit then getting in and out of town? Like, do you think the transit system needs to be a little bit re rebuffed? Do you, do you see an issue with the transit system? The best transit plan is a land use plan. So that takes us back to densifying. Like if you were to go downtown Vancouver or Olympic Village or anything like that, people aren't driving around. People aren't really even taking buses. They're walking and they're riding bikes. So I think by stepping back and listening to the planners and the OCP and the sub plans, we can achieve that. As for today, what would I do? I think there's certain things. So if you were to take the places where people park for carpooling, like at the bottom of Valley Cliff, that's always full. And I think people are getting tickets, you know, so right away, day one of being counselor, I don't see why we couldn't suggest to clear that out a bit and add additional spots. Those people are taking cars off the highway, saving the environment, everything. Yeah, we need hubs, right? We need transit hubs. So where you can do your carpooling or where you can do uh, or pick a bus up or, or and so forth. Uh, yeah, clear some space, get some transit hubs in there so we can take the cars off the, ra off the road. And that, that's definitely like there were certain places that were earmarked for to be transit hubs, but then other developments went in there instead. You alluded to big issues. We're talking about diversification of the economy and filling downtown is one of them. Another one was LNG. And I know you are vehemently against this project. Am I, am I assuming correctly? Or No, I think what I'm really against is the Mount Mulligan compressor station. Okay. The LNG... I'm not for it by any means. I think I've said that a lot, but I think it's coming and I don't think it's at the municipal level to stop it. So yeah, I'm for like, let's, let's break them over the coals. Let's tax them as much as we can. Of course, let's look at their cost saving measures. What are they trying to skimp on safety wise? Let's make it safe for the environment, for the people. You know, everyone's going to talk about Daryl Bay. That's crazy that they're, that's even being considered. So I'm against all those things. But what leverage do you think you have as a counselor? to sort of go after the for more tax money or for Daryl Bay. Daryl Bay is Modi land, right? I think the, the federal and the provincial government already said you sort of have a limit on what you can do. So what kind of leverage as a council do you, do you know that we have over LNG to sort of pay their fair share? All I could say at this point, not being a counselor, is to lobby and to listen and to stand up where I can for everything. 
um, the number one thing I would be looking at. Mount Mulligan Compressor Station um, is the one behind Valley Cliff. It's 1.8 kilometers outside of the neighborhood. It's really close to the hospital. It's close to Hospital Hill. It's close to our elementary schools. Right now, it's set to be, it's proposed to be a run by gas, not electricity. So when that was compressor was going to be in the industrial park downtown, it was scheduled to be electric. And then they brought it up here. They put it outside of the Squamish boundary, right, in the SLRD. And they said, we're just going to make it gas. So I've heard that it's the equivalent of four to six 747 jet engines running 24 hours a day. You know, how can you have that behind your neighborhood? How can we go and approach these high-tech firms if we have something like that going on in our neighborhood? So at a very minimum, I would like to see that go to electric if we can't move it. You know, you hear everyone talk about Garibaldi at Squamish and extending the boundary. Like, can we extend the boundary to encompass that compressor station? Like, are we, how much tax money are we losing for that? What's the process there? What can we do to stop it? All I can say is I'll do everything I can to make that electric. But when it comes down to SRD, I mean, it's different. You know, with the Garibaldi at Squamish, they're asking us to extend the borders, right? So, and, and SLRD, I mean, if we go to them and say, hey, we want this land, I actually have no idea how to do, go about that process. Um, I mean, there are, yeah, I guess they, you would have to go, I guess, with the SRD bylaws. They would have their own bylaws against noise and, and so forth. But I mean, apart from noise, is there a danger of having a plant like that? Yeah, it can explode. And the radius is massive. It would take out all of Valley Cliff. You know, you'd have to evacuate the hospital. It would go further than that. Like a compressor station blowing up is one of the worst things that can happen. The whole, and not just for Valley Cliff, if it even was a small explosion or a fire, it's going to light the trees on fire and take out all the trails and everything. It's just going the wrong way for Squamish. It's going against everything we're trying to make great right now. Well, that's definitely a big issue. I'm going to have to definitely do more research on that. Now, well, speaking of SRD you know, can lands. Can I hop in there? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. So just that, having to hear you say that, that is worth me running for the election right there. Well, thank you. Well, we're talking about SRD lands and incorporating lands, and we might as well slide over to the other one, the Garibaldi at Squamish. They have been working diligently with Squamish Nation about filling their EOA um, and also... There are 40 guidelines they had to abide by. It seems on this inception, it might actually have traction because, I mean, they've been trying to put a, a resort in there forever. Um, how do you feel about this resort coming in? It's everything, right? So it's just the change it's going to have on our community as a whole. If you are a renter right now and that resort goes through, what are you going to be looking at? Like $1,000 a bet, not a room, right? It's going to be insane. It's going to be like a Whistler, worse than Whistler, because now Whistler's employees, where are they going to go? So I think the biggest part is just the housing, the affordable housing of it. You know, they're saying it's going to bring in, what, 2,000 full-time jobs, I think? Well, I know they're going to be in their fourth in their fourth phase. They're talking about 22,000 beds. So you were talking about a workforce that sort of accommodate, accommodates 22,000 beds. Uh, but they're talking about doing it like a housing authority, just like Whistler, where employees can buy housing and, and so forth. And it's at, at what they say is going to be reasonable. Yeah, so the way I read into that is they're saying they're required to do 10% employee housing. So 2,000 people, that means they're going to house 200. So right there, we've got 1,800 people that we need to house. You know, we're trying to do all these things to get affordable housing. We're giving developers variances to include affordable housing. We're swapping land. We're doing all these things. And then we're just going to let a resort come in and take that all away. Like We're going to be trying to increase affordable housing for a resort, for a private company. Well, your background is, is in housing. So, I mean, I can see how that could be on the forefront. I mean, in terms of the, the 
the whole notion of a ski hill there or 24 365 resort there is that is that something that we can actually use though in terms of tax injection or you have to really look at all the numbers on that i mean i could ask my son if he wants a transformer and he's gonna say yes right (laughs) for sure spend the whole mortgage payment on transformers but there's consequences to everything so what does that look like what happens if it is a bust what do we take it on do we leave it with slrd there's huge questions there yeah there's a lot of big questions if it gets to a point where we're looking at squamish to extending its borders to accommodate the gis never mind the cost of that but to actually physically do that do you think that's a mandate for the council or should we have a referendum Here's how I see that. So you've got basically two of the richest people. They both own hockey teams. I'm pretty sure that their marketing budget is going to be more than, say, a Paradise Valley community, more than an affordable housing organization. They're going to be able to tell the people of Squamish what they want to hear. They're going to say, we're building this great resort up here, and they're just going to have so much noise over top of the problems that I just don't think it would be a fair vote like it's so easy to be like yeah of course 100 percent, build the ski hill sweet but where are you gonna live mm-hmm. all these construction guys right now here where are they gonna live how are we gonna build right so how do we face that housing crisis and let's let's come back around full circle i mean that you know we, we're having a housing crisis right now our rental market is like zero percent are you lobbying for like a housing authority or something to sort of help with what we're doing uh because like it goes back to the economic question we've had some commercial lands rezoned for residential but we're screaming for diversity of economy but we still need to build homes people are not going to stop moving here right So I think I have uh, some pretty straight answers I would start with. I really like what the city's doing with offering the incentives for basement suites and coach houses. And I've heard that people are Airbnb-ing those after, and it's a pretty easy solution there. I think we would just say, okay, so say you get this incentive, it saves you about three to $5,000. If you're caught Airbnb-ing it, it's a double clawback. So now you're going to owe us six to $10,000. Just take that right out of the equation because that's not right. Um, you're asking me if I think we should have a housing authority right now. I'm going to say, I don't think that's the way to go. You know, we can just have the developers put in the required rental suites. They can even run it and have it at different income levels. Part of the affordable housing, it's not to house the homeless. It's, you know, to make, so if you're a young family and you can pay 2,500 a month rent, but you can't buy a place. You don't feel that sense that that house is going to get sold and you're getting kicked out. We would force the developers to have that place available for 20 years or something like that. But that's where the authority will come in, right? So an authority can come in and basically say, uh, this area is meant for this. We can zone it this way for this and zone it for that. And because we're responsible for housing, so everyone can have a home and live here in Squamish. I'm actually with you on the fact that I'm not a big fan of housing authorities. I'm not a big fan of, of an extra layer of government. Um, not because I, you know, Whistler, their housing authority, uh, everyone says they did a great job up there. I'm, I'm kind of nuanced on it. So, but there should be something in place though, to make sure, because I mean, having the developers beholden to accommodate what we need in the market has not necessarily worked out for us, I think in the last eight years or since this development boom is happening. How would you be sure that the developers do what you want them to do? I agree with you that I don't think we should have the housing authority and then how to, at this point, I would say, I mean, that's not a closed subject. That's not one of my straight no's. Let's, let's talk that through. How it works is if you're rezoning or allowing a variance to a building, part of that is you can press the developer to include four units of 
rental housing and you can allow the developer to manage that. So they're not giving us the house. They're just holding it as a rental mm-hmm. and you just separate the income levels. Right. Cause I mean, you, you see a lot of families coming up here trying to, you know, make a life out of it here and you've seen the struggles. What, what are the big complaints that you hear from them that you can help fix on council? The affordable housing is huge, not just affordable, but even just finding housing for sure. I mean, I've got a basement suite in here and when we posted it for rent, we had lots of people with kids coming and looking at it. We just had lots of people in general coming. I actually couldn't believe it. So definitely more housing. Trying to bring the jobs to Squamish is definitely a key priority. Um, This all comes back to the Garibaldi at Squamish, right? Like we can do all these things, but you throw that resort in here and it's all for nothing. Like, why are we allowing the developers these variances to get rental housing if this resort's coming? Your position is unique from what the other candidates against the Garibaldi at Squamish. Usually they talk about the environmental impact, the aquifers, which, you know, they're working diligently to, you know, sort of remedy that situation. They talk about transit, but you're the first to really take the housing issue and say, that's not good because we already have this imbalance happening here or we're trying to find a balance between work and living and, and sort of grow Squamish and a sort of balanced ecosystem going on. And, and the fact that this will throw it all out of whack, not conducive to what we're trying to grow here. And I, like I said, I kudos to you because I've never heard it put that way before. And so it's interesting. But when you ask for the, the referendum question, it's one of those things where you can get a definite yes or no from the people. But you think that the tables would be lopsided in terms of because of campaigning money and sort of so forth. I guess it would be up to counselors like you to sort of put out that information and say, yeah, this is not good because, and whether or not they all that campaigning, you still have a vote. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I would like to talk about Garibaldi at Squamish more. And I watched or I listened to the podcast you had with the vice president of planning for Aqualini Group. He actually reached out to me pretty early in, probably a week after I did my, I guess it would have been after that Squamish chief thing where I came out against it. Right. You know, I thought that was kind of interesting. That kind of made me really enjoy this because I'm like, wow, people are actually listening. You know, this is great. So, you know, how I say if it goes to referendum, it's going to be very uneven. But then I was thinking about it. and I was like, maybe it's not. I mean, already, if you look at their marketing, they call themselves Garibaldi at Squamish Gas. They're already trying to change that. So, you know, maybe their marketing's not that good. Um, and then do you mind if I just read you a couple things from that podcast? You know, I'm going to do some quotes here. So... Not to offend you. I'm, I'm not offended. It was a bit of a snoozer for the first part. But the last five <laughs> minutes, the last five minutes were okay. golden. And I, I just want to like explain what I heard. The conversation is kind of talking about infrastructure and Brennan Park. Now, the people I'm quoting is going to be the vice president of planning for the Aquilini Group. I believe his name is Rod. You guys are talking about Brennan Park. And then he says, you know, well, maybe if... People in Squamish, if children in Squamish start skiing up at our mountain, maybe some of those things, and this is a quote, maybe some of those things don't have to be expanded so quickly. You know, if I'm the Aquilini group, I'm saying, if you guys help us build this resort, we would help expand Brennan Park, like the total opposite stance. So I found that one pretty funny. Then you guys are talking about referendum and he says, first of all, that's not going to happen. The Squamish people are going to see the value in this. 
I mean, let's just let the Squamish people decide for themselves. Then he's talking about he was at the farmer's market and he was there for a whole four hours. You know, he's talking to these folks and he couldn't believe how much people really wanted the, the ski hill that he was talking to. So he says, this is right after you guys were talking about some of the issues like the infrastructure, blah, blah, blah. This is a quote. They had no history. They don't know any of the negative stuff you just mentioned. So he's saying, oh, yeah, everyone really wants the ski resort. But then in the ex like exact same line, he's saying they don't know any of the negatives. Then this is all the last five minutes. It was really good. Okay. <laughs> he talks about having a focus group. He says he's got a random group of people that skied. They're somewhat knowledgeable about Squamish. Somewhat. I mean, come on, get a focus group of people from Squamish. <laughs> Then it keeps going. It gets better and better. <laughs> so then he goes to end it. And this is, I guess, when you bring up the infrastructure points. And it, it ends up moving into affordable that, housing. That, that's when I bring it up, right? Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, At least I did you. something right there? No, you did. Really. All right, all right. I'm, it just, I'm ended, just checking. It would have ended without this. And this is <laughs> the whole point of my campaign almost. So You're welcome. <laughs> thank you. He says, you know, I got a buddy that's got a couple little ski shops. Basically, it's easy. You just go buy a house for your employees. Like, hit the nail on the head. I mean, not everyone's going to be able to do that. People can't even buy a house for themselves or even rent a house. You know, and then he ends it by basically just saying, the only negative that remains is from the snowmobilers. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that Paradise Valley has a negative they want to talk about. There's a lot of environmental issues. There's housing issues. So I just want to make sure everyone knows all the true negatives. <laughs> I'm not done. Oh, no. I'm not done. All right, no. cool. I'll keep going. So if I was... Honestly, this is one of the most unique interviews I've done. So this is... I've never had someone recount stuff I've said with or has been said with cue cards. This is awesome. Keep going. <laughs> so if I was planning to build a ski resort in Squamish, I would probably reach out to Tourism Squamish. I don't even know if they've ever talked to them. They're not a member. Think about that for a second. Just, just have a thought. Well, I know they've talked to the chamber. I know they've been involved with the chamber. I mean, uh, I'm not sure about tourism, Squamish. I can't vouch for that. Uh, I'm sure. They're not a member. I just think that's insane. They should be a member. What else does he say? Let's see. Uh, okay, we talked about this, where they're bringing 2,000 jobs, and they're required to only put in 200 staff housing. He does on that one say that they would do more, though. I'll give him credit for that. And then if you just go and look at the website, Garibaldi at Squamish, it talks about how they're, by providing these jobs up the ski mountain, they're going to help families have jobs in Squamish so they don't have to commute to the city. Well, there's kind of another side of that, of 22,000 people driving the same road that you're commuting on to the city. So I don't think it saves time. I think it does the complete opposite. Then I've heard, I don't know if this is true, so this one is just open for discussion. Okay? All right. <laughs> I've heard that now that they've raised the base camp up, it's 17 kilometer highway, a uh, really windy road. I've heard that the rumor is that it's only 10 minutes quicker than Creekside. So it's really all for nothing. All right, because you're driving all the way up that way, the extra distance upwards, that you might as well just get to Creekside, same distance. Yeah, you drive to Creekside at 100 kilometers an hour and you're going up there a lot slower on windy roads. So, I mean, you combine all that, but really, to bring it back, it really is mostly or all about just what it's going to do to the overall town we have. And it's going to force so many people out. People are, that have lived here forever and are renting, are, and if they get kicked out, they're, they're not going to be able to come back. We don't have, we're not a Whistler that has a Squamish to put people in. So if we lose this town, where do we go? 
Definitely not West Vancouver, no. No, definitely not West Vancouver. Or or build on Furry Creek or Lions Bay. I don't know. So you, you, you're, you're definitely opposed to the gas, mainly because of the housing, uh, and never mind all the other things you've listed from the podcast. That was that was a great summary, by the way. So let's uh, let's move on. So we've covered LNG. We've we've talked to, we've talked about gas. Now, what else is on your slate? Where we want to go on Chima? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do Chima. I first of all, you got to give. I think it's Bob Chima, right? You got to give him credit buying that property. I mean, it's genius, best purchase I've seen for sure. My opinion of the Chima property is, you know, let's stick it out to this twenty-two five hundred. I mean, we're probably there already. I would think. I, I agree with that. And then for the community, it's got such a positive. The mountain bike area that they're gonna give up there, it's gonna be sort of world class. So I'm totally in agreement with that. What I would probably like to see though, I mean, I know that the, the loading area and all around there, that could definitely be condos, I think. But what I would like to see further up is more single detached houses. I would like it not to be multi-unit right through that whole area. Chima, I think he's a, a builder from Surrey. And I've had a few clients that bought in this area of Langley where they had kind of narrower houses with basement suites in them and a coach house. So if you're able to do that up there, I was thinking that, you know, the family that buys it, they get some serious um, money coming back to help them with the bills. That would open up, say, a two-bedroom basement suite for someone. And then you have a one-bedroom coach house on the back. So I would just like to see something like that. A pretty big concern of mine is if it got built into a multi-unit, the worry, and I think this is could be a real worry if the Vancouver market heats up again, which I think CMHC is saying it will in 2019. Well, I know in West Van, it's it slowed down a bit. Some of the developments have stopped and, and pricing is a little bit, uh, it's getting a little bit out of whack, yeah. You can plan now if come 2019 or 2020, the housing market heats up again especially if we have a ski resort coming in, it's really going to heat up here extremely fast. So my worry with the Chima, if it went multi-unit right up there, is you might see developers pushing back into the highlands and trying to do land assemblies, meaning like get a bunch of properties in a row, buy it, and then build multi-unit and like creep it back into the highlands. Right. You know, and depending what counselor you pick, there's going to be some serious pressure. So are you going to be able to say no to that? Would you be able to say no to that? Straight no. <laughs> no chance. That's what I'm all about, right? I'm all about keeping the single detached where they are. If someone wanted to rezone down Westway to continue and put in six-floor multi-unit, that's not even a discussion. And that's coming, right? That happened in Vancouver. Right now, the housing market has definitely slowed, so you're not going to see a lot of pressure. But... We're continuously growing. This is one of the fastest growing communities in Canada, uh, growth-wise. And, I mean, you can't just inhibit, uh, like, you know, places for people to live. I mean, the, the people will always be moving here, I think, because being in the corridor the way it is now, the way it's growing, the way that we do not have to be going, be holding and going to an office five days a week. You can work from home, satellite working, uh, satellite offices, and so forth. You're going to see people trying to live where they play. And it's a question of what point do we say, you know what, we're, we're full? Or can you ever say that? So that takes me back to the beginning of this interview where I say, let's build out the coolest, the best community you've ever seen through Oceanfront. Like, let's make it pop. Let's be the place in the world. But we're, we're four or five different communities in a stretch of 13 kilometers. You have your Brackendale, you have your Valley Cliff, and you have Denville. You have all these places that can, you know, there is some growth. I mean, Brackenville is obviously a little, is much different than, say, Valley Cliff. 
And it's a question of proper growth uh, amongst all these areas, right? I mean, you can't just say, can't have these types of building here or these types of building there. I mean, it's one of those things where you sort of have to, you we're trying to create an ecosystem, right? So was one area different than the other? I mean, you can't really do that in terms of regulation and policy. So I'm a big fan of cluster neighborhoods. So if you were to say, okay, we got the Highlands, we got Valley Cliff, we got Brackendale, say for instance, I'm a fan of not blending them together with sort of a pile of shit condos and stuff, right? I like the idea of keeping them separate and having the bike lanes and the transit throughout them. And then everything should flow back into this new part we're trying to build. I, I like the notion of cluster uh, of cluster communities because then you can build your hubs, right? You have your art centers and you have your you have your places for people to visit. I mean, we, we keep talking about different ways of making money or different ways of diversifying the economy. Do you think we can do better with the tourism coming into town? Because I mean, Sorka brings in about ten million dollars a year, um, and I mean, and there's the mountain climbing. I don't know if we're, we're generating revenue from the gondola or not, but it does draw people in. Is there something we can do to step up tourism? What I like, you know, if you look at the gondola and that is capturing people coming from the city, making them stop there, and then they continue on to Whistler. They're not clogging up our trails. They're not taking our climbing walls. They're not doing any of that. It doesn't really affect us. Plus, it gives us, you know, I love going up the gondola. So that's an amazing thing. So is there room for that? Can we find more? I'm not saying build another gondola, but some suspension bridge somewhere else or something like that where it doesn't really take away from populate the fun things that we do but it just generates income i think that's what i would like to see with tourism squamish just so everyone's kind of clear of how it works when you rent a hotel room in squamish right now it's a two percent tax and that is approved to go to three percent that's going to happen we haven't started receiving the funds yet and then that money goes to the district and goes straight back to tourism squamish so Tourism Squamish currently is a marketing organization. And I know that they're they're wanting to and they're allowed to. It's definitely heavily provincially regulated, but you can be a destination management organization. So if they sort of switch to that, what that allows to do, instead of spending this 3% of the hotel income tax on promoting Squamish, they can go and they should be able to put garbage cans and outhouses at trailheads and signage, things like that, you know, really help out what's actually driving tourism to Squamish. Like people aren't coming here because they see an ad in a magazine. They're coming here because they know about the amazing mountain bike trails and climbing. the amenities that go along with Mm -hmm. it. If I was on council, I would try to get a non-voting seat with Tourism Squamish organization. That would allow me to sort of understand what's going on in here and, and listen to what they have to say again it's all about diversifying the economy no i must admit like when i talk to the other candidates you do have different views than than some of the other candidates in terms of a gas and also tourism all of them bring up other type of income generators and you have a different perspective what i would like to see on council i think what everyone wants to see on council is having different perspectives and different views than everybody else on board you're looking at possibly sitting down with a new group of, of inexperienced people on council is there any concern at all that, you know, there's been so much work towards this change and then all the incumbents decided to say, you know what, I'm done. I mean, we have two running for mayor. Uh, we have one possible incumbent counselor. Do you think this is time for change, time for fresh face perspective? I think it's great for the sense that because these big questions are coming, the big pressure from the developers, you'll have your own opinion. No one else there has more experience than you. So there's not going to be any like, well, maybe I should, you know, it's just strictly what you think. You're not afraid to say what you think. Is there anything else that we haven't covered that you want to get in there just before we wrap this up? Yeah, I do. For sure. Sorry. (laughs) 
um, you know, along with the office jobs and whatnot that I would, I'd like to bring here, I'm definitely for protecting that kind of union-based job, the the terminals and the rail. I don't want those to go away. I worked in a sawmill, and I know what it's like to make that sort of good money and how that can help you support a family and how much those people spend in a community. So that's very important to me to keep that. Um, I want to keep all the construction jobs. I want to actually increase construction, but I want it to be in certain areas and I want it to build uh, Squamish the way it should be. I don't know if anyone's noticed probably, but I wear a plaid shirt every day through. I've noticed. You've noticed that? I've noticed. I'm the guy that's wearing the plaid shirt and has a beard. And I'm the guy that will say what he thinks and and I'm not going to chicken out or or not vote the way I think I should. Um, I also have an Irish last name, so... When you're going to vote, I'm going to be about halfway down the list. That's Lee O'Callaghan. You know, if I go to the province, the provincial government, I'm going to put on a suit and I'm going to battle it out with them. But when I'm back here in Squamish, I think every second Thursday, if I'm your counselor, I'm going to be at a local business listening to your concerns and taking that to council. And that's good. Accessibility is a big thing. Uh, one of those things where I always preach when you're, when you're looking for counselors or you're looking for someone to represent you, they're representing you. They're representing your interests, so their availability, their accessibility is paramount. Oh, it sure is. You, especially with this election, like you said. But I think that's about it. I think I've, I've probably. Well, how, said, how do people get in touch with you, Lee? <laughs> I've probably said a lot there. <laughs> um, so you know, I set up a Facebook page, Leo Callahan for Squamish Council. I would like people to follow that just to see what kind of following I'm getting, and then I am. <laughs> And you can check me out personally on Lee J. O'Callaghan on Instagram. That's not uh, politically related. That's just my personal account. Um, yeah, and I hope that we can... You got an email? Can they email you? Yeah, they can email me. Lee at LeeOCallaghan.com. Perfect. All right. Thanks for the interview. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. <laughs> this is the Sea to Sky podcast. If you have a comment or story ideas, please check out our website at seataskypodcast.com or on Facebook and Twitter at Seataskypodcast. Thank you for clicking us on 